find yourself wondering about someone else's story or why someone might have done what they did? Do you wonder why you do what you do? If so, then this is the podcast for you. and welcome to the second episode of the Empathy Podcast. I'm your host, Jocelyn Townsend, and today we're here with two friends, Tyler and Erin. Both Tyler and Erin have come from particularly different walks of life, and because of that, we've had an interesting conversation about everything from safety to our struggles with technologies and how identity politics plays into safeties. Stay tuned. I want to start with some icebreaker questions, so if you're okay with it, Tyler, I'll hand it over to you. You want me to ask a question or answer the question? You can ask the question. Uh, What is something you fear people will think about you upon meeting? Um, I think that um, typically... When I first meet people, I I think I expect them to think that I'm not very intelligent, I suppose. Like, kind of just, like, dismiss me, I guess. What about you? Uh, I fear people will think. It all depends on the situation. If, if, it's, if they don't know who I am at all, I usually have no trepidation. But if they know my history then I fear that they will have fear of me. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think I ever think that people will be, like, scared of me, because I think most of the time I kind of come off, like, uh, like, not serious enough to be, like, kind of scared of, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, so then what, can I, am I allowed to ask any question? You can ask okay. any question. So then why would you worry about people thinking that you're not? intelligent or uh, maybe not have anything to say. I think it's like, if I come into something and think like, oh, this person is probably like not very intelligent, like I won't engage with them at the level of like, like a meaningful level for me, right? But I, like, I suppose like I probably <clears throat> hold like, um, like intelligence is fairly high, I guess. Uh, like. I suppose, like, I hold myself to that standard of, like, you need to bring something to this, otherwise people don't want to be here, right? Maybe? Can I tell you tell you an anecdote about intelligence that'll take a couple seconds? So I used to work with this guy, and he was literally a rocket scientist. That's what he was studying to become in school. Uh-huh. But he couldn't use a pipe wrench. And he worked at a gas company, so using a pipe wrench was very important. And uh, he got put with me, and the first day that he got put with me, I'm like, man, this guy can't use any tools. He doesn't understand simple logic. He's not an intelligent person. This is what I was thinking. So anyways, as time goes past, we end up losing uh, a very important thing in the ground, and we didn't know where it was. And a bunch of guys were swimming up trying to figure out how to find out where we lose this drill bit because it was worth about $100,000. This guy came over with a piece of wire and a measuring tape, shoved it in the hole, pulled it out, measured the angle, 
went back to a piece of paper, did a little bit of calculating, walked out in the field and said, okay, your drill bit is roughly nine meters deep at this point. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, man. And when I went and looked over at the piece of paper, all he did was check the, the rise over the run, which is very simple math, and the angle of the hole, and do some simple calculations that anyone, like we all learned in grade three, but because we were all focused in one section, in one thought, and we were in a group think, and he was an outsider, his, his focus was better, but he couldn't take two pipe wrenches and tighten up a, a, a piece of pipe. So my whole thing is like, what is intelligence? Because what yeah. you define as intelligence and what I define as intelligence may be two different, two different things. Yeah. Because I could build a building, no problem, but I could never build a rocket. And he could build a rocket, but he could not build a building. Yeah. Aaron, I'm wondering if there was an icebreaker question that stood out to you as something you'd like to ask. When I first read the question about technology, I had some, like, just like the memories that popped in my head of struggling with technology, kind of, I don't know, like right now my papa, um, <laughs> my papa wants to, um, I have to be careful with how I say this, <laughs> so he, uh, I think my papa is starting to be interested in finding a new someone to spend some time with, right? Because my grandma's with, and asking me like, Aaron, like, you need to help me be able to Skype, like. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll help you be able to Skype. But we couldn't get the Skype thing figured out because not only on our end we have to understand, but then on the other end they have to be able to. There's a lot of steps to technology in order to get what you want to go, and then it's almost like it seems like in order to get technology to work, it takes like a certain level of like knowing how to, but then also you have to have this certain level of like stick to itness to see it through. And uh, sometimes that's that's the harder part, I'd say. What do you guys think? Uh, for me, technology. Um, for the most part, it's uh, it comes second nature to me. But uh, there's a few things that I noticed which drives me crazy is like, uh, whenever something here, we're going to give you access to this for free. It's always a lie. It's always free up until the point where it actually becomes useful and then they want money. So it's like, uh, they're like free resume builder. I'm like, Hey, perfect. Boom. So I typed up the resume, but to print it costs money. But by that time I'd already put all the equity into making my resume. So now I'm forced to pay this company, you know, $9 for one month subscription just to print something that I could have done myself on Word. I just wanted to do it the easier way where it was pre-formatted. And, uh, and yeah, so I was like, oh, well, I've already kind of done that. So moving out of technology, Tyler, is there anything you'd like to ask Aaron about in particular? Okay, I'll go with if you could laugh at yourself about one thing, what would it be and why? I think I want to say something like, I think that I would like to get kind of like entertainment from the like toiling in vain that I got in my life, you know? Kind of like just like the everyday things of like, 
I am starting to like, I am starting to enjoy it more. I think since like COVID-19, I've, I've come to a more uh, like deeper appreciation, a deeper appreciation for like the little things like cooking for myself or like, I don't know, just even like having to drive to town to get groceries and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, things that are kind of mundane, but have to happen. Because, yeah, like, my life, I've been in school for the last, like, five years, and I've always lived on campus, so I've always had, like, <clears throat> all my meals cooked for me, and, like, yeah. <clears throat> so it seems like those are the things that I'm kind of like, ugh, but maybe I'd like to get entertainment out of them. I don't know if that's necessarily how the question was trying to get, um, but does that answer what you wanted? What was, uh, what was, like, the last memorable laugh that you had, <coughs> Tyler? You and me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the other day, we were talking about, uh, with a group of people, we were talking about, uh, segregation in prisons, and, uh, we talked about an hour, hour and a half about segregation and, and the rebranding of segregation and all this kind of stuff. And during that time, uh, I expressed to the people that the first time I was in segregation was in elementary school, and they called it in-school suspension. So then uh, three days later, four days later, we were working, doing some stuff, and my friend has a podcast, and I said, okay, he just put out a new episode, so we put on the new episode. And they started talking about stuff, with no, with no uh, crosstalk between the two groups. And they started talking about school, and then school came up, and then in-school suspension came up, and everything that I talked about in-school suspension, these two people were talking about on a podcast in another part of the world. And I just started laughing so hard because everything that I said was coming out of this other person's mouth that I never met before. And I just thought it was humorous that uh, two people from such a vast distance could have the same experience. Oh, would you say that, like, um, that, like, that connection was what kind of, like, made that story funny, though? Yeah, the, the uh, irony of it and the fact that, uh, that uh, sometimes you think you're, like, I don't know, people tend to think that you're special, and then to find out that uh, your experience isn't really isn't that special, and it's probably not even that unique because there's nine billion people. So that's that's what I found funny about it is like just like the the levels of 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 connectedness, I guess. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Tyler, it's really that. Uh, synchronicity that you find funny and uh, the fact that somebody that you would never expect to have the same type of uh, experience as you can. Okay, I'm going to ask the question about uh, how, how do you move through sens the sensations out of you? For example, do you sit with them? Do they change? Do you act out or do you blame others, yourself or others? That's in regards to when you harm someone. So this is an unfortunate part. As I mentioned, uh, we had some technical difficulties as technology is how it is. But Tyler does his best to summarize what he heard um, from Aaron. 
how sometimes you feel a certain way and then you feel it in your chest and it's like physiological or whatever. Um, but then you also talked about how not dealing with your issues is not the way to go about it. I uh, am very passionate about that part because uh, that's like my whole goal in life is to help people deal with their stuff. So uh, for me, when that happens, I have a routine and I do it daily, but sometimes when I get triggered, then I have routines about meditation, routines about physical activity, depending on what's triggering me. I have a set routine set up for myself so that I don't ever get to a point where I'm overly emotional or like uh, acting with my logical brain because mm. if you just feel an emotion especially if it's a strong emotion a negative emotion uh, you're a lot of times your child brain has designed a way to protect that and with me it was like acting out in violence or acting out aggressively because this way it would protect my vulnerabilities so uh, everybody has a different way of protecting those things some people's is avoidance some people whatever it is but uh, I just know that dealing with stuff as it happens is always the best way to do it or as soon as you possibly can deal with it so if you get into that situation with your grandfather it's always, in my mind, best to have the conversation and then keep the conversation about, like, not about the person, but just about how it makes you feel and why it makes you feel that way. And a lot of times, if you just explain to that person, like, when you said this, it made me feel this, uh, and I would request you not to, to say those things, and if you want to uh, challenge me, challenge me based on my actions or based on uh, things that I'm doing, but not challenge me as a person, you know. And sometimes when people say, hey, I wish you would study more, you hear, hey, I think you're lazy or, hey, I think you're stupid. And sometimes it's in your own head, so sometimes you have to check to see what if what they said is what they meant and, and that sort of thing because... Sometimes when you confront the person, you say, oh, when you said this, I felt like this. They just clarify and say, oh, well, actually, I never even said it that way, or I didn't mean to say it that way. And then after the clarification, now you guys are, are back on a, more of a level uh, playing field. Playing field sounds like the right word to use, and I'm really glad that you brought that up. Just because, like, even in my own personal life, sorry, I don't want to over-interject. Um, but that resonated with me because so much is lost in miscommunication. And particularly when it comes to moving out or sitting with difficult sensations. Like, I myself have at times found that I've sat with uncomfortable feelings based on misunderstandings. But moving forward, I wanted to kind of, ref I wanted to reflect on 
One of the questions that you brought up as being particularly pertinent while we wait for Aaron to get headphones, and that's the question of safety and what it means to feel safe. One of the things I realized for myself is that in my own life, I've often felt so, and I still feel so disconnected from safety in my day-to-day -day living, that if I were to try to describe it as a sensation, what it feels like to be safe, I, uh, I really don't think I could. Yeah, yeah like, uh, for me, people just, uh, I think whatever's going on in their life, they just say that's what's normal. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that is it's actually protecting you from how dangerous the world really is. Yeah, that's and, one way. And your mind gets skewed very easily by other people. So if you go back and you look at like math and logic, mm -hmm. that's how I like to view a lot of things. And if you quantify numbers, certain things that you deem safe are extremely dangerous. It's just mm -hmm. we do them so often and it happens so often in our lives that your mind just can say, okay, this is safe. But if you actually step back and look at it, you say, well, this is not very safe. And yeah. certain things that you assume are very dangerous, uh, just because maybe you don't have enough knowledge about them or whatever it may be, if you actually do the math, and you figure it out, you say, that, well, actually, this is a pretty safe thing to do. So here in the recording process, we took a bit of a break. Um, so I just want to take the time here to remind all of our listeners to please stay safe during this COVID time and to wash your hands regularly and to respect social distancing. When we get back, Erin explains to us um, some of her ideas and feelings around safety. Yeah, like, I don't feel very safe. Like, in a regular, just, like, on a regular day, either, like, whenever I go, I don't know, I like, when I'm out, it's like, um, hmm. I don't know. This is something that I'm, like, I have started to reflect on, but I don't know if I've, like, kind of come to any, like, conclusions, because, like, okay, for instance, like, I grew up in a really small town, right, and, like, I knew everybody, pretty much, like, everybody knew me, like, like, if something, if there was, like, a crime that happened in the small town that I was in, um, like, we all would know, kind of, like, I don't know, it's just very different than living in a city, and so, since I've been, um, like, since I've moved to the city, I've kind of had to, uh, like, accept that there's, like, anytime you leave the house, there's this level of, um, like, unsafety that kind of comes with it, right? Like, even just, like, I don't know, being, like, downtown in Victoria, um, like, it's, I'm, like, hesitant to say that, like, it's, it's almost like being kind of, like, an attractive younger woman seems to kind of, like, make your unsafety, like, at least for me, it makes me feel, like, unsafe, right, like, because you're, like, you're more, more noticeable, and, like, um, like, I can run pretty fast, but, like, if it comes down to hand-to-hand -hand combat, like, I'm done, right? So, I don't know. It's, uh, safety to me, um, it's almost like, it's like you have decided within yourself that you are confident that, um, like, that you can acquire kind of a level of safety. Like, 
even just like the knowledge of, right? So I know that like if I'm downtown Victoria and if it's like late at night, there's like wherever the, um, I don't know what the place is called, but it's like kind of a park thing, but there's always like cops around there, right? And so like, I know that if I start getting like scared, I know to walk in that direction because eventually I will see somebody who like has some type of authority that makes them have maybe a gun or something. I would like to comment on that, and it's going to be based on mathematics. So if you look at statistics, the chances of you getting in a random violent uh, encounter with a stranger is extremely low. It's constantly, like, as far as violent crime goes, but what is safety? That's why I was saying, like, certain people, in my mind, driving to work, it's probably the most dangerous thing that you do or driving to school if you drive. Mm-hmm. It's probably literally the most life-threatening thing you do every day. Yeah. And walking down Victoria mm-hmm. on a scale, if we were to do mathematics and do statistics saying what's the chances of the probability of you dying uh, walking downtown Victoria versus driving to work every day, mm-hmm. uh, the, logically you shouldn't be afraid to walk downtown and should logically be afraid to drive to work. Yeah. Because we've conditioned ourselves to drive to work and we've conditioned Mm. ourselves to see transient people or people downtown as dangerous. Yeah. It's a perception thing. Because to me Can I I I can walk downtown. Can I finish Yeah, I just I do want to address something that you brought up um, afterwards if that's okay. Yeah. So for me I can walk downtown almost anywhere in any city. And I've been in some dangerous places, and I never, ever feel scared. So... But if a cop pulls up behind me, I am deathly afraid. Yeah. That's a really good point. And, like, that's just kind of what came up for me, like, just in terms of gender differences. Because, like, I think in terms of, like, what you brought up with cops coming up and just in terms of life experience, that's very... Um, like very very true to your experience I know for me um, when I lived in Montreal like I have extreme PTSD um, from circumstances Um, I used to get followed home almost every single night Um, several times people did try to grab me on the metro and then a sex trade ring that was going on in Montreal was debunked around the place that people tried to snatch me Um, and there are things that impact like particularly like actually just very small women like I'm five foot um and so some of us are targeted for certain types of violence that other people wouldn't be so safety it's it's a big thing because what can make one demographic or one type of person feel safe can sometimes make another demographic feel completely unsafe and I think that that sometimes where it can become so challenging to really understand each other because like what impacts one person statistically when you look at a whole population isn't necessarily the same like the outliers might be a group of people I was just kind of thinking like even like I didn't grow like I grew up in the United States right and so like my understanding of like crime rate and stuff is like very different than uh like I would say like the same demographic of Canadian like people too right like um like I grew up with like violence on the like 
like violent crime being shown like so much in the news, right? And stuff like, whereas like when I watch the news here, it's uh, it's quite different. Like, it's not like, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know, like the United States seems to have more of a um, like violent population, I suppose. Yeah. Or like, Maybe. yeah. Or it's like, like to challenge that. I think that uh, it's it's like a bubble effect because the media is only showing you the negative. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. in reality, if you were to just so start crazy. searching like crime rates and, and violent crimes and all these sort of things, uh, they've been going down since we've been tracking them because humans have been evolving to be kinder people. Yeah. Over time, yeah, that's and, a good point. Uh, the pre- when you said the person has a gun and that makes you feel safe, uh, the presence of a gun in any situation, whether it's a, a good person or a bad yeah. person, actually increases the likelihood of death by so yeah. much yeah. that it's 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 absolutely ridiculous. And um, if you have a gun, let's say, I don't know. If ever carried one, but I have some experience in that, in that, in my life. Uh And, uh, if I have a gun and I assume that the next person has a gun, as soon as we come in contact with each other, if it gets aggravated into a tense situation, now I believe that that person is always, like, they have the ability to, to kill me at any second because they have a gun. (laughs) For myself, if I'm in a situation and I don't believe the person has a gun and I don't have a gun, or even if I did have a gun, the likelihood of me reaching for the gun is way lower. But as mm. soon as I believe that the person has a gun, mm. okay, you get angry, I'm reaching for my gun to yeah. engage. Yeah. Because one shot, your life is over. But in a physical yeah. altercation, the likelihood of someone dying from one strike without a weapon it's still possible but it's it's like the numbers are are way low yeah that's i'd read a study that said that i kind of i guess like when i think about it like um i don't know i wonder how much we do kind of like just allow ourselves to have like a false uh like trust in like different systems and stuff right because i would say like Okay, yeah. If I sat down and like put numbers to it, kind of like what you're saying, like I would, I would know that like uh, the presence of a gun would make me have uh, like, like the the uh, likelihood of like a dangerous outcome would be higher, right? But then there's like this part of me that's like, if you just like if you just rest in this sweet spot where like the law is there to protect you, <laughs> so it might be a little bit. Of fictitious uh, safety that I kind of aspire to, really. Yeah, and the law, the law... I don't feel protected by the law. Yeah, yeah. The the law and police, for the most part, are there to protect property and the owners of that property, not the people. And the presence of police doesn't stop anything from happening. They're just there to reprimand 
afterwards. I agree. Mm-hmm. If we were to allow people to be human and make mistakes and have this growth mentality that like people can change and learn and have conversations with people and try to see past a behavior to where it's coming from, I think there'd be a lot less violence than there is. The just uh, still I'm a con, just so you know. Okay. And wearing a con stripe just by happenstance. It wasn't it's actually very fashionable. Yeah, it wasn't actually. I didn't think much about it until just I looked at it. But uh, anyways, uh, uh, a system of punishment for behavior doesn't work. It has never worked and will never work. Um, as far as, uh, I don't even know how to start. So anyways, my first encounter with the police, I was probably eight years old, give or take. Uh, the police, you know what a SWAT is? Nicholas, what? A SWAT? Yeah, when they kick in your door. Oh, yeah, yeah. They enter your, it's called a no-knock warrant. Anyway, so a no-knock warrant means they don't have to knock, they don't have to present any documents, they can just enter your home and basically do what they want. So it's like, there's no more uh, castle law, there's no more law protecting you within inside your home. So basically, police enter your home, they put a gun in your face, they hold you to the ground, beat you up, kneel on you, and uh, basically you're allowed to do whatever they want for the remainder of the time until they deem that the house is now safe. And how they deem the house is safe is by going through the house room by room and taking every person and putting them on the ground with a gun in their face, kneeling on them, handcuffing them. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. So the, my first encounter with the police, I think I was eight years old, but I might have been older. Uh, that was my first encounter with the police. So you're not going to trust them. That's terrifying. Uh, That's, sorry, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my first. uh, Then I had another, I'm only going through major, like, I'm not talking like my dad got a speeding ticket, you know what I mean? Like, uh, type encounters, because those have had happened as well. Uh, My next major encounter with the police, I was probably 13 years old. They robbed uh, myself and a couple other guys of narcotics and money, mm-hmm. and then let us go. Um, then I was arrested and held. I, I shouldn't say arrested. I was held without being arrested, without being charged, for 48 hours when I was 16 or 17 question about a crime, but never actually charged, never given a chance to call a lawyer, call my family, anything like that. They threatened to uh, put myself and three other guys in prison for life. Uh, Then I was an adult, and I had a bunch of run-ins with the police, but by then I'd already formed my beliefs. So for me, any time that... I come across authority, especially if they have a badge. I don't see them as someone coming to help me. Yeah. Uh, so 
So when I went to prison, that was a big issue. Uh, and then as far as like what punishment gets, so like uh, if they punish you, the only way they can punish you once you get to prison is by removing, like they've already removed you from society, so that's mm -hmm. supposed to be the punishment. So then after that, the only way they can punish you more is by taking what little you have away from you. So yeah. if you have a TV, they can take that TV. If you have right to free air or fresh air, they could take that right to fresh air. If you have access to the phone, they could take that right to the phone. Uh, the shower, they could take the right to the shower. Uh, yeah. But when they take those things, uh, you get to a point where you're like, I just lived six months without access to a shower, phone, uh, hygiene, or whatever. So what can they take? They can't take anything. Yeah, more. that's, uh, yeah. So if, if you keep going, if you're strong enough, they take all the possessions that they could take from you and leave you in a room. Now they have no power. You have all the power. Because they can't take anything else. Uh, Interesting. I grew up in a like I grew up in a really uh, like conservative Baptist house, and I would only, like the amount of punishment that was like kind of doled out to my brother and I. I think that I kind of got to that point where I was like, "Come and take it. I I don't want it because then you have a power over me. I'll have no rights or like like making friends and stuff like that. Like I'd say that that was uh, kind of a punishment that my mom held in our house where it was like, oh, like, you want to go and, like, have a social life? Like, no, like, she is capable of taking that away from you. And, like, I would say that that, that didn't really make me want to behave. It made me want to just be like, well, like, I don't want you to be able to take anything more away from me, so have it all. Yeah. And then, so I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting, because, like, bringing that back to safety and, like, where all of this, like, started coming from, um, is that, like, I agree that it's, like, the point is, is if when we start to feel like something is in, infringing on somebody else, that that's where an issue comes up, but then how we, how we recreate safety, like, how, what recreate safety? I guess that would be a great follow-up question. I, I, see, I don't know, because safety to me is, is, is a perception, it doesn't really, exist yeah and, yeah exactly it's a decision yeah and, and and so like how do you create it it's like you have to uh, uh i don't know you have to just think that you are safe and then when you think you are safe therefore you are safe even yeah. though in reality you're not like if we're talking physical safety or emotional safety because there's a whole bunch of different things you know uh, but for me, I found that, uh, like, no matter what horrible place that I've been, mm -hmm. that it always came, like, in between, uh, in my head, like, yeah. if I put it in my head that this is going to happen, or this is what's happening, then it happened, and, uh, you can feel safe in a horrible place and you can feel unsafe in 
not a horrible place. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to say it, explain it, but uh, I'll just explain it anecdotally. So there was times that I felt safer in segregation mm. than I did on the bus. Yes. Mm. But the only way to get over the anxiety was to get on the bus. Yeah. I feel like a, the direct approach, the shortest line between, like, you know what I mean, is always the best way. Yeah. But I know there is nuance in life. Uh, but for me, it's always just been like, okay, this is my problem, and this is my solution. We're just going to go from A to B and bulldoze our way through whatever's in the, in the way. Yeah. Uh, but I know that's not always the answer for everyone because everyone's different, but that's how it's always been. So if I have a problem with the bus, I get on the bus. If I have a problem with someone, I go speak to that person. If I'm having a problem with uh, schoolwork, yeah. then I go, you know what I mean? Like, whatever it is, okay, this is my problem, I'm going to start start doing it. And, uh, yeah, and like, just to check in with Aaron on that, like, because like, I was thinking about what you were saying with the bulldozing metaphor, and I was like, for me, I, I would call myself, like, I'm a toe dipper. It's like, I need to kind of dip my toe slowly in the water. And then be like, okay, I'm like, that's too cold. And then like, wait a minute, it gets warmer. Just hold it there for a second longer and it's not so bad. Um, and so I'm like, Aaron, do you like have kind of like a metaphor that you resonate with when it's like, when you're addressing fear? Huh, let me think. I think maybe, like, I don't know, I'm just thinking about, like, uh, like, with my mom and stuff, right? Like, I would, I would assume that kind of, like, my interactions with her, uh, like, do always kind of come with a level of fear, like, in myself, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think maybe, um, I think I usually, I don't know if it's, like, bulldozing or necessarily, like, like, dipping my toes in, I just, like, I won't do it unless I know that I have, like an upper hand kind of right like unless I know that I can like say even like going down to visit her right, right. Like, um, like I won't go unless I know that like I'll have a vehicle and like I'll have a place to stay and like I'll be able to like leave if I need to right so like there's Stuff a safety like plan like that there's some yeah. sort of safety plan yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that I always have to have like a maybe my I would say maybe my uh, like metaphor would be like I always have to have an escape route, like, and I suppose even with getting into anything, right, like, when I enter into a house, um, if I don't know necessarily, like, I will always kind of, like, um, like, set up a way in which, like, I could get out mm -hmm. if I was, like, going to be, like, told that I couldn't leave and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah. Hmm. So talking about kind of getting out, um, unfortunately, we do need to start closing the podcast down for the day. And so I'm just wondering if the two of you or either of you would be willing to share something that you appreciated learning about the other person. Um, maybe Tyler, why don't you go first? That's a hard question. I don't really expect too much from anyone. So, uh... <laughs> Uh, what I'm just I always am surprised 
how uh, even though people are different, how much we are always the same. That's yeah. Every every day I get uh, that's that's one. No matter what the situation is, I always find it's like you know when you take away the ego, then it's like most people are just generally you know. Yeah. Easygoing, vulnerable people that uh, they just built up whatever they built up to get through the day. And when you strip that away, it's pretty easy to, to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of just follow Sue with that. It's kind of like, even though like all three of us have had, I would assume, kind of very different um, like backgrounds and like um like just ways of being brought up i would say that at the end of the day we all kind of like we all come to similar conclusions and the route to those are almost similar it's like there's kind of this like frustrating thing and then you kind of have to like come to terms with like what it is um like say with the system and stuff and then and then we all kind of come to this point where we're just like like yikes like you know i think i do know Um, Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today, Um, but fortunately, I got to spend the last hour and a half with these two lovely folks, so thank you very much, Tyler and Aaron, for being on the podcast today, and I wish you all a happy, healthy, safe, and uh, liberated, if I can say that. Rest of your week.